The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. Good evening, everybody. This is Robin Nelson with another edition of Wrestle Podcast. And uh, starting tomorrow, I will be on a new uh, podcast network, Hitting the Marks Podcast. And I want to give a shout out to Rick Vickery and Jargo for um, inviting me into their podcast family. And you can also follow me at Russell Podcast at uh, podcastcity.net, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcast. And you can follow me at Twitter at WPopcast1 and also on Facebook at Russell Podcast. And my guest tonight is the OVW heavyweight champion, Tony Gunn. How's it going, Tony? Good, man. How are you doing? Pretty good. Thank you for coming on tonight. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. You just won the OVW heavyweight championship. How's it feel being the OVW champ right now? Uh, man, I tell you what, it's like a dream come true. It feels really good. Um, you know, it's just one of those things that's kind of hard to put into words or explain truly how I feel. You know, it's just one of those experiences that you that you have to experience yourself. Uh, but right now I'm on cloud nine and, and loving every minute of it. All right, let's start how you became the OVW champion. Um, you won the Nightmare Rumble to become the number one contender. And then um, you had to go up against the Beast Abyss uh, for the title. And then um, you end up winning, and you were also being part of the Triple Crown Championship as well. Yeah, that's uh, the, the night. We'll start with the Nightmare Rumble. That was a, a huge event, and that and uh, that was the thing where it ended with me and Adam Revolver at the very end, and. I was kind of down and out, and then finally, uh, the, you know, the tide turned, and I delivered that kill shot and he flew right over the top rope, so I ended up winning the Nightmare Rumble and becoming the number one contender. And then fast forward to my um, my match with the Monster Abyss, that, that was a, a true test in itself because he's such a beast in the ring and uh, such a competitor. Uh, it was pretty much a David and Goliath story uh, that match was. I was just fighting from underneath, just trying to, just trying to uh, get anything in that I could. Uh, but luckily, you know, at the very end, he gave me two choke slams, uh, and then he pulled me up on the count just because he wanted to add insult to injury, and then tried for that third choke slam, and I knocked his hand away and delivered that kill shot. You know, that fatal blow that that knocked uh, the beast down and just to just to hear them announce the new OEW heavyweight champion shotgun Tony Gunn was was such a surreal thing and, and cool moment for me so ever since you won that uh, title um, has everybody been uh, eyeing you and uh, aiming you like a target uh, I mean yes and, I mean yes and no obviously you know because with Ohio Valley Wrestling the, the heavyweight title is it is a prestige title. It's the highest uh, honor or ranking that you can get at OBW. So, of course, uh, people are going to be uh, gunning at that, no pun intended. Um, but, but yeah, there's also a respect thing, too, because it was kind of cool um, after the match when all the boys came out uh, from the locker room and kind of celebrated 
and me defeating the Monster Abyss and, and celebrating me winning the heavyweight title. And, and that's something that I didn't even know was going to happen. And it was so cool to experience that and have the boys out there and celebrate with me. And not only that, Dean Hill came out there as well and offered a handshake and, and a hug, uh, which was a pretty cool thing as well. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Dean Hill, he, he's been there since day one. And he's seen pretty much every champion that's come through Ohio Valley Wrestling. So just for him to be there uh, was such a, a cool moment for me, and I really enjoyed that. I bet it was as well. And let's um, talk about OVW. Um, you've been like 15 years in the business and uh, seven years with OVW as well. Um, what's it like uh, to be working over there? And also, uh, it's also being developed under Al Snow right now. Yeah, like you said, I've, I've been in the sport of professional wrestling for a little over 15 years, and it's, you know, I've had a lot of highs, a lot of lows, and a lot of experiences along the way. It's been such a cool journey, a cool ride. And uh, Ohio Valley Wrestling, I've, I've been there for seven years, and it's been such a good experience. Uh, just you know, learning learning new things and learning uh, different different styles and different forms of psychology in the ring and things of that nature. Uh, so I've learned a lot uh, with Ohio Valley Wrestling, and I've also learned a lot with Al Snow. Al Snow has a great a great mind for the business. He's very smart. He's well educated. And he also has the experience as well. He's been on the, you know, the big platform, WWE, and he's been, you know, other places as well. So he's kind of been there and done that and experienced that. And he can kind of share that experience, you know, with us. And that's such a cool thing to have. Uh, but the one thing about Al or anybody in that nature is that you can have all the experience in the world and all the knowledge, but if you're not able to communicate that, you know, with your audience, then it really doesn't amount to much. And Al, Al can really communicate uh, his knowledge to where he, he can break it down and make it make sense to everyone. Uh, so he, he's a blessing uh, to have at Ohio Valley Wrestling. So speaking of Al Snow, uh, not Al Smell, I mean Al Snow. <laughs> uh, if you heard me call him Al Smell, he'll probably be like, "What? Uh, it's Al Snow." <laughs> so, um, did you also work with him in the ring as well? Uh, as far as like having a match with him or training, uh, match or training. You know, actually, I haven't had the opportunity to to work in a, in a match with Al Snow. I, I would love to have the opportunity down the road if it does happen. That would be uh, really cool. Um, but yeah, he, he does help out with training a little bit uh, with like different reviews and uh, different classes as far as uh, running matches and, and psychology and things like that. So he's, he's helped me out, out uh, a lot along the way. But, uh, no, as far as having a match with him, I, I haven't been in the ring with him, but, you, you know, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I was looking at some of your matches as well. Um, you had a uh, a hard-hitting uh, match for the OVW TV title on a pole. That's pretty interesting. Oh, yeah, that was, um, man, that was such a, a fun match and uh, such a demanding match as well because that was with... Uh, the, the party starter, Bud Dwight. And um, 
those gimmick matches like that, like the, the pole matches and uh, other things of that nature, those those are usually uh, a lot of fun to work because you get to work a different style in the ring versus going out there and doing a regular uh, exhibition match. Uh, but that story in that match, that that was such a cool thing. Like we we really told the story of trying to trying to get that belt. Because not only did you have to retrieve the belt, you also had to hit your opponent with the belt as well. So. Uh, so that was another story in itself, and I think that match as well. I think I used some handcuffs or something to to try to keep Bud Dwight down, but he ended up overturning that. Uh, but th- that match is posted on YouTube somewhere, and if you know if anyone has the chance at the time, I, I, I would highly recommend them uh, giving a few minutes and watching that because it, it's it's a really really cool story. I bet it is. I mean, I was watching it and I enjoyed that match as well. And then there was another uh, match I checked out too. Um, let's talk a little bit about your uh, match last year. It was like 2018 of the year, the rope match. Oh, uh, yeah, the no rope match uh, against uh, Randall Floyd. Yep. And, that, and yeah, that was uh, th- that was another another cool match as well. And it was, it was kind of neat getting a uh, match of the year. Uh, with the no rope match for 2018 at Ohio Valley Wrestling, but the story leading leading up to that, like Floyd and I, we we've had a series a series of matches. Uh, I mean, we've had you know regular exhibition matches. We've had uh, the best two out of three falls match. We've had a submission match. Um, a couple of others I can't remember off the top of my head. But anyways, the, the how it led to the no rope match was. Uh, I think it was like a few weeks before I got frustrated in the ring and and the bottom rope uh, popped off. So while the ref wasn't looking, I I took the uh, bottom turnbuckle and, and knocked uh, Randall Floyd out with it. Ref didn't see it. I pinned him one, two, three. You know, of course, he came back to argue that a few weeks later. And then it turned into, you know, if you want to use the ropes, we're going to have no ropes on this ring. It's going to be a no rope match. Uh, and it was a it was a really cool thing. And it was a different style of match as well. Not only was there uh, not any ropes, uh, you could either you could win by pinfall, submission, or three ring outs. And a ring out is where you know both feet touch the ground outside the ring. Uh, so you had different you had different ways to try to uh, to to beat your opponent other than pinfall and submission. And um, and and Floyd is such a great talent as well too. He kind of. We kind of mirror each other as far as our skills in the ring and what we're able to do, and uh, and we always try. You know, I try to outdo him; he tries to outdo me. So, in theory, that that makes us work harder, and I think it makes us uh, better in the ring. And you know, it just it just drives up the level of competition in the ring. Yeah, I know. I, I was in, I saw that and I was really enjoying it. I thought that was one of my favorite matches of yours with um, OVW. Um, also, um, you were in a ring with uh, two great wrestlers as well. Um, you you got in a ring with Tommy Dreamer, of course, and then um, another uh, indie wrestler. Uh, you know who is pretty good in the ring, and I consider him uh, underrated and stuff, and he he's he's like a rising star. I'm surprised nobody really hasn't really picked him up to go up to the big show, and that's your chemistry with uh, Shane Andrews. Uh, yeah, Sh- Shane is a, uh, he's a really good talent. Uh, we've worked each other, you know, we've been in the ring with each other many, many times uh, at, at Ohio Valley and other places as well, too, and he, he's kind of like what I, 
I'll give the same scenario with Floyd is where he's he's a true competitor as well too. He wants to out outdo his opponent in the ring, and you know, and, and I'm the same way. And, and everyone should be that way, but you know, a lot of people aren't. But uh, and we had very good chemistry in the ring as well too. We we fed really well off of each other, and uh, and, and yeah, it was. It was to be in the ring with with Shane Andrews is is such a uh, I know it's going to be a fun night and it's it's going to be a very entertaining uh, match at that. Uh, but going to Tommy Dreamer, um, you know that that was a cool experience. I've, I've worked with a few names, you know, in, the, in my fifteen years of history of, of, of being a pro wrestler. But uh, Tommy Dreamer was really cool because um, we worked uh, at Ohio Valley together and. And that match, it, it was a lot of fun, and it was very competitive at that. And I think Tommy, you know, had something to prove uh, against me, and I had something to prove against him, you know, as far as showing him what I can do and what I'm capable of. And and as vice versa, he wanted to be able to, to run with me and keep up with me, and, and he did that, and, and, I, and I picked up the ball as well. Uh, so I think he respected that, and and he gave me high praise, you know, afterwards as far as as far as my talent and skill inside the ring. That's pretty good too, because he's another great talent as well. Um, also, um, since people who are not familiar with you, um, tell my audience who Shotgun Tony Gunn is. Uh, who Shotgun Tony Gunn is? Well. Um, you know, I, I, I have the type of personality where where I don't really take much off of anybody. You know, if you want if you want to throw an attitude uh, towards me, you know, I'm going to throw one right back tenfold and um, kind of have a short fuse. Uh, the shotgun name is kind of like a, uh, I don't know if you ever heard the term shotgun crazy where I can be totally fine one minute and a little bit, a little bit off the walls the next. Uh, that's kind of how I am in the ring every now and then. Um, but yeah, that you know, that's about it as far as that goes. And, and and then just my skill set inside the ring as well. You know, I'll do I'll do whatever needs to be done in order in order to succeed in the match. Yeah, um, let's also talk about your theme song too, and um, how you approached uh, the Brian Fox Band. How did that come together with the Brian Fox Band? You know, I actually know him, um, and he's a, he's a very talented musician. I don't know if you heard any other of his music, uh, but he kind of does does the um, uh, country rock. I don't know the genre per se, but it's like a country rock type music, and it's it's really good music. But I'm you know I'm a I'm a wrestler by night, teacher by day, so I'm a school teacher, and I actually teach one of his kids at my school so that's kind of how we know each other and we just kind of been talking and all that and you know I approached I was like hey I was like would you be interested in in creating a entrance theme for me and he's like yeah sure I'll give it a whirl or whatever and I gave him a few ideas as far as what I wanted and, and what I was going for and you know the tone of the, the tone and the vibe of the song and you know, I gave him, I think it was a few weeks after I kind of gave him all that information, he kind of put some stuff together, sent it my way, and then we made some tweaks and changes, and I think about after, I don't know, about 18 or 20 different uh, tweaks and, uh, and, and, and 
retried. We actually we came up with uh, the best there is theme, uh, Welcome to the Gun Show, and you know, and I, I think it kicks butt. I think it is. It's also a catchy tune too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's real easy. I mean, it, it fits you know, it fits my personality. It fits my uh, tempo. It, it fits my character. You know, starting out with Welcome to the Gun Show with the shotgun thing, so you know exactly who it is. Then it breaks into the music, and then it, and then it states, you know, you know who I am and things of that nature. So I, I think it's, you know, it's really individualized, personalized, and like you said, it's really catchy. It's really easy to learn, uh, which is what you need for a, for a theme. Since you're a teacher as well and teach uh, kids as well, um, do most of your students know you are a professional wrestler? Yeah, yeah, actually they do, um, which is kind of neat, you know, it's almost a rock star teacher. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, a lot of them actually watch it, you know, uh, on TV. They watch Ohio Valley Wrestling, and usually, like, they come in the, you know, the next week, and like, Mr. Gunn, you've got beat up, or Mr. Gunn, uh, you know, this happened, why'd you do that? You know, so it's kind of cool just, just to listen and hear what they have to say when they, when they, uh, when they talk about the, you know, about the episode, about the show. Uh, but, yeah. Hey, they're probably just sit, sitting there in their classroom going, yeah, that's right. Our teacher is a, a professional wrestler. Heck, yeah. Um, have you um, had any of uh, your students come up to you uh, telling you they wanted to be pro wrestlers as well? Uh, you know, a few <laughs> younger ones, they're like, yeah, I want to do this. And I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> grow up a little bit. <laughs> and then see if you still want to do it. But, you know, whether it's a professional wrestler or whatever, you know, choices they make or whatever dreams they have, I always tell them, it's like, you know, however silly it might, it might sound to other people or how far-fetched it sounds or how far, far away it is to, to get to that goal, like, you know, live your goal and do your goal. If there's something that you want to do, then then go do it, you know. Don't, don't you know, don't give in to, like, uh, people telling you no or the negative people or, you know, don't have that doubt, you know, so I always tell them to live their dream and, you know, that's exactly what I'm doing and, you know, I practice what I preach and I preach that to them, you know, they, they need to live their dreams. That's pretty good as well. Um, also, uh, you growing up as well, were you uh, a big wrestling fan before you ever thought about getting into the ring? Uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't. Like when I was a little, like a little kid, I used to watch it with my dad. And, you know, uh, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, the Bushwhackers, uh, all that stuff. And then for some reason, I fell out of it. And then let's fast forward to about 1997, 98. My friends at the time, they were like, hey, you got to, you know, watch this WWF. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. You know, and I tuned in. And, you know, that was the Attitude Era. That was the Stone, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Mankind, Chris Jericho. You know, all those characters, all those gimmicks, and I was like, whoa, this is, this is awesome, this is great, and then I was just kind of hooked ever since, and uh, so yeah, then I just, I just watched it through the, you know, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, uh, and when I started watching, like I said, 97, 98, I was a ninth grader in high school, and then <laughs> we used to watch the pay-per-view every Sunday, uh, my buddies and I, and I come from a small town in, in Rector, Arkansas, 2017 people. And uh, I was the only uh, friend out of our group that, that had a, a satellite, you know, because back then you had to you had to order the pay-per-views for like 50, 60 bucks. 
and all of my buddies chipped in five, ten dollars, you know, to help pay for the pay per view. They come out on Sunday, and we'd all we'd all watch it. Uh, but then we had the bright idea to like, hey, let's come out a few hours, you know, before the pay per view starts, and let's 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 wrestle, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like uh, dumb teenagers would. <laughs> So we we got like my mattress, uh, my sister's mattress, the spare bedroom match mattress. We threw it in the basement, and then we just proceeded to have wrestling matches in our basement or in my basement, and just beat the crap out of each other until the pay per view started. <laughs> hey, that's pretty fun as well. Uh, and, yeah, and then we uh, and then we uh, then I said, hey, let's let's graduate to the to the garage. So we moved everything to the garage, and we actually set up tables for. Uh, uh, for like commentary, and we had our own, uh, we made our own belts out of cardboard and all that stuff. It, it was funny. Uh, our our backyard wrestling name was DHW Down Home Wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then and then I had the uh, idea of like, hey, let's let's put this mattress stuff. Let's actually build a wrestling ring because uh, I lived on a farm like 180 something acres, so we had plenty of land. So I talked to my mom and dad about it. I was like, hey, can we build a wrestling ring? And I don't know why, but they said, yeah. Um, so like we, I think we used uh, logs for the uh, for the post. We used garden hose and cables for the ropes and box springs and wood and and padding and and tarp for the uh, for the platform. And we would we would have wrestling matches like, and we even trained as well too. Like we didn't do the stupid stuff like. Uh, we we didn't want to power drive each other. We didn't want to do like cheese grater to the head and all that all that bogus crap. Like we actually learned how to arm drag, hip toss, body slam. We worked on suplexes and things of that nature. So we actually kind of took it serious. Uh, and then fast forward to like ninety nine, two thousand. Like all my friends grew grew out of it, and I was kind of the kid that you know that never grew out of it. Um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was a, uh, yeah I was a big fan right before I got into it. And what and what made me want to be a wrestler is uh, my girlfriend at the time. This was 2001, I believe. I was a senior in high school. She uh, she surprised me with tickets to a MCW show in Jonesboro, Arkansas, with, which was uh, Memphis Championship Wrestling. And at the time, MCW was uh, developmental for uh, WWF. Uh, so they had all their guys down there, and I, I didn't know that as a kid, but I just I just knew of MCW. But anyways, the big uh, the big match of the night, the main event of that night was Kurt Angle against Triple H, and Kurt Angle was the uh, WWF uh, heavyweight champion at the time. Back when Kurt Angle still had hair. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, that was a few years ago. But uh, but that was such a cool experience. Like I set uh, set third row. And I just remember, like, listening to the crowd, listening to everybody, myself included, I was going crazy. And just just the energy in that building, like, that was my first time experiencing anything like that with a wrestling show or, or anything of that nature. So, like, just, like, really feeling that energy and, and then how, how it was built up. I was like, man, I... I want to be the reason why this energy is happening. Like I want to be in the ring and cause all of this energy, you know? So, and, and it was just like the lightning bolt went off in my head and I was like, boom, I was like, I want to do this. I want to be a professional wrestler. Uh, so long story short, I started searching for schools and whatnot. And since MCW was uh, the uh, developmental territory for WWF, I contacted them 
And I believe at the time, uh, Terry Golden ran MCW. I talked to him about uh, joining the beginner's class and all that. And I, I have a, I'll get to this in a little bit. Okay. I've had bad luck with the developmental system, and I'll tell you why here in a minute. But, um, but anyways, I talked to Terry Golden. I paid my money. I believe it was like $1,000 for the beginner's class. And uh, I think like a week or two before class started, I already paid the money. Uh, WWF or WWE, whatever you want to call them, they pulled out and sent everybody to Louisville, Kentucky for Ohio Valley Wrestling. And as soon as they pulled out, MCW shut their doors. So I was like, crap, I'm out $1,000 and I have zero training. Like, haven't even started class. So I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I have no idea what to do. Uh, so anyways, I talked to a buddy of mine, uh, his name was Kelly Warner, and he used to help out with some of the road shows and, 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 and uh, you know, media and, and networking and things like that with MCW, so he put me in contact with uh, Derek King, uh, which Derek King used to be in OVW uh, back in the early developmental days. Uh, do you remember, do you, do you know who that is? Yes, I do. Uh, uh, yes, I do. I remember who he was, yes. Yeah, so he, he's from the Memphis, Tennessee area, which is not far from where I live in Arkansas, about an hour and a half away. So he put me in contact with Derek. Derek and I chatted, and he kind of took me under his wing, so to speak, and kind of, you know, taught me the ropes and trained and, and all that good stuff. Uh, but yeah, Derek, Derek was... Uh, he was one of the, I think they call him the Suicide Blondes, him and Jason Lee. They both had bleach blonde hair, um, which is kind of funny. Uh, but anyways, um, yeah, Derek took me under his wing, trained me, all that good stuff. I was like, okay, I'm going to kind of stick it around. I'm going to stick around in the developmental, not developmental, but uh, the indie area for here and kind of learn the ropes, so to speak, and, 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 and all that stuff. And I was like, I'm going to finish my college. And as soon as I finish my college, I'm going to move to Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Louisville, Kentucky to train uh, with Ohio Valley since they're developmental. Uh, I graduated college. A few months after graduating college, I had my money saved up. I called up Rip Rogers. And I was like, hey, Rip, want to come train? You know, blah, blah, blah. He goes, you can join my intermediate class and X amount of dollars, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, cool. He's like, by the way, who trained you? And I was like, Derek King. He goes, ah, oh, crap. He goes, I'm going to have to retrain you then. You know, and he laughed. He was just joking because he knows, he knows Derek's a good hand. Uh, but anyways, I moved to Louisville, Kentucky. And then I think it was uh, December of 05 or something. Another, I forget. I get, kind of get my uh, years. <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> but anyways, I moved to Louisville, Kentucky. I got my money saved. And I go to pay rip. Uh, but I actually don't pay him. It's a few weeks uh, before, uh, before I pay him. And... Uh, WWE pulls out of OBW and they send everybody to Florida with SEW. And I'm like, I haven't even been here a month and now this developmental system shut down. So I'm like, you know, I, I try to go to MCW, they shut down. I went to OBW, uh, they pulled out and now they're in Florida. I'm like, screw this. I'm not moving to Florida. I'm just going to stick it out here and kind of see what happens. You know, I was like, I have bad luck with the developmental system. Um, but anyways, long story short, I, I took a few years off to just, just kind of regroup and recollect myself um, and do some soul searching. And then back, and then I think 2011 or 2012, I, I joined with Ohio Valley Wrestling and, and just kind of been with them ever since. 
that's pretty good as well. So um, you must you probably worked with a lot of big names that went through OVW as well. I mean, they had like names, you know, like Punk, you know, Batista, Cena, Lashley, Orton, all those great guys. Yeah, I I wasn't there when when those guys were there. Uh, I got there, you know, like I said, you know, after the fact because they were uh, I don't know when they got they got called up. But I worked with a few people down in uh, the Memphis area. You know, all all the uh, the local Memphis uh, legends. Like I, you know, just to name a few names. Like I, I worked with uh, Jerry Lawler. I've worked with Bill Dundee, uh, Brian Christopher, uh, Handsome Jimmy Valiant, uh, Moondog Spot, Coco Beware, Sermo Viscera, Rodney Back. Uh, I did some stuff with Jimmy Hart. Um, and then, of course, Tommy and Abyss. And, you know, I've worked with Mike Mondo, which is an ex- excellent talent. Uh, I've worked with Bobby Eaton quite a few times. And Bobby is such a dream in the ring. He's so easy. And so much fun. I love Bobby the Death. He's awesome. Uh, and who else uh, I've worked with? I can't, I can't <laughs> remember everybody off the top of my head, but that's that's the ones that I can't remember. Okay. Um, besides uh, working in the ring and training as well, what do you enjoy outside of the ring? Uh, man, I love being in the ring. I love training. Wrestling's my life. But outside of that, uh, you know, I love teaching. I, I love teaching the youth and, and showing them new things and stuff that they can take with them, you know, in the future. And then I also enjoy uh, spending time in the gym. I'm in the gym six days a week. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't do it just because I wrestle. I do it because uh, I love working out and being being in the gym. And, you know, that, that's that's my lifestyle. That's, that's what I, I love doing. And then, you know, like going to concerts and, you know, things of that nature and spending time with my wife. Um, you know, she's a, she's a great supporter as well, too. Uh, it's really hard. It's really hard as a as a, a wrestler, a professional wrestler, to find someone that, that really supports and understands what you're doing and what you're going through. And, and, and my wife is, uh, she un- understands it to a T, and she's 110% supportive of me and and i greatly appreciate that so where do you see yourself uh 10 years from now oh an old man (laughs) (laughs) so um um 10 years from now you know you know i'm 35 right now um i'm going to wrestle as long as i can as long as i'm still having fun as long as i'm still enjoying it as long as there's still competition um, I'm always going. I'm always going to be in the ring as long as I'm healthy. Uh, but ten years from now, I, I see myself being part of uh, the WWE roster. Uh, that's my dream. That's my goal. Uh, whether whether it's a uh, performer in the ring, whether it's a trainer or anything else backstage, just to be to be incorporated and have a a, a job with them would would be great for me. That'd be pretty good, too. So you also thought about being a trainer as well, too. That's kind of cool, too. Yeah, because I think, I think it kind of goes hand in hand. Like, you know, not only the experience, I've been, te- you know, I've been uh, wrestling 15 years, and not only that, I've, I've been a teacher for 10 years. So I think that kind of helps in that aspect as far as, you know, how to talk to people, what to say, you know, uh, 
teaching them things and bringing bringing it down step by step as far as far as what to do. So I think you know if I was to be a trainer, I think it would come pretty easy uh, to me because that's what I already do at school is I is I teach. I'm, I'm a physical education teacher, so I've uh, you know already worked with uh, you know students and <clears throat> how to control their body and what to you know and moving move different types of. Uh, you know, <clears throat> movements and things of that nature. So that's pretty good as well. Um, you were also hitting a head by a guitar as well. How did that feel? Well, it probably felt just how you think. <laughs> <laughs> Not, it wasn't very fun. Uh, it, and you know, it's one of those things where people all, they say, "Oh, it's fake. It's fake." That was that was a fake guitar. Bull crap. Uh, all they do, all they do is they take the strings off so it doesn't cut you. But other than that, it's a guitar being smashed over your head. You know, uh, and actually, I think when that happened, uh, that, that happened at Ohio Valley Wrestling, Dapper Dan smashed that over my head. And uh, the bridge of it or some part of it caught the top of my head and split the top of my head open, uh, which I didn't bleed on camera because it was up in my hairline because it kept it kept it all up there didn't run down my face but i was yeah i was split open on the top of my head wow so how many stitches did you get for that <laughs> it, was like, it was like five or six it wasn't very many uh and it wasn't a deep cut but it was it was it was split open around the top of my head yeah but yeah it's it's not fun it's one of those things it's like okay it needs to be done and it's, it's going to happen and you just gotta you just gotta take the blow and roll the tide <laughs> <laughs> hey you gotta take the punches too right <laughs> exactly so uh, uh your uh, 15 year uh, wrestling career uh, you've wrestled like so much great town as well um, is there anyone else that you've never had a chance to get in a ring with in the indies that you wouldn't mind uh, uh, getting in the fight with um, as far as the indies, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know really as far as indies go. I'll work with anybody. Uh, but as far as like a known name, yeah. there's there's three people that got me, that really got me interested in wrestling. wrestling and and I really kind of like, you know, I, I, I watched it and analyzed. And that was, that was Kurt Angle, uh-huh. Ken, Ken Shamrock. And uh, believe it or not, Al Snow. Uh, so those three, are, you know, because like I said, I started watching wrestling uh, re- religiously in the Attitude Era, and those three, you know, caught my eye. I mean, more than more than the Rock and Stone Cold. Uh, but I, I loved Kurt Angle because I loved his uh, his talent inside the ring. Uh, very well polished as far as what he can do, and his charisma outside the ring as well you know he was a great performer in and out of the ring so i love that about kurt angle he always drew my attention no matter what he did and then i was uh, a big fan of ken shamrock because i loved his mma background i loved his look and i loved his attitude in the ring and i identified with ken shamrock a lot and then you know and, and i also also really enjoyed watching al snow you know, as a kid, I was like, man, here's, I thought to myself, like, here's this guy, this man that brings a mannequin head to the ring, puts himself through tables, has matches with the head or himself, and talks to this head. I'm like, absolutely crazy, but he gets it over, and the crowd eats it up, which I ate it up as well, too. Like, I was like, I was like, any person that can do that is like, 
a genius, whether they're crazy or not. <laughs> uh, so I kind of took to that. And my friends thought I was kind of crazy too. Like, why do you like this Al Snow guy? And I was like, I don't know, I just do. <laughs> uh, but those are the three guys that, that really got me into wrestling. So I would say to have a match with any one of those three would, would be a dream come true. I bet it would. That'd be fun. I would love to see you getting in all those matches with those guys as well. Um, I could see you, if you um, ever met Kurt Angle, I could see you marking like a little schoolboy. <laughs> well, I wouldn't do that. I'd keep my composure. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a professional. I'm pretty professional, you know, inside and outside of the ring. But yeah, on the inside, I'd be like, man, that's kind of cool. <laughs> so have you had any interesting uh, fan encounters? Oh, man. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it's kind of hard to think off the top of my head uh, <laughs> over these past 15 years. But there's, you know, there's always been those fans like, you know, you want me to sign what? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, I mean, yeah, there's been some strange encounters, but I really don't want to tell any, any stories about that because I don't want to tell anybody out there. Hey, you're no fun, man. No fun. <laughs> I, don't like to tell, I don't like to tell dirt. <laughs> hey, I like your attitude. That's what I like about my podcast. It's everything positive. No uh, hating or bashing. Yeah. I mean, because that... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome oh and I'm so um, I'm going to have to come down to OVW and see you wrestle I haven't got a chance to see you wrestle live and you know I would like to see you uh, um, in action in the ring because um, you have a lot of uh, solid and crisp matches as well of all the matches I've seen and I wouldn't mind hol- yeah and I wouldn't mind holding that beautiful OVW title <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, never, yeah, if you come down, I'll, I'll let you. Oh, yeah, that'd be so nice, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm going I'm to hold on to it for a long time, so, you know. Oh, that's pretty good. And I, Well, you are their fighting champion, and I can see that as well. So where can everybody find you on social media if they want to follow Shotgun Tony Gunn? Uh, sure. Uh, I don't like to put my Facebook out there, but as far as uh, they can, you know, I do a lot of stuff on Instagram and Twitter, uh, Twitter and YouTube, so... If you want to look me up on Instagram, it's at uh, Tony B Gun T O N Y B as in boy G U N N. And then if you want to uh, look me up on Twitter and follow me, it's uh, Gun underscore Tony G U N N underscore T O N Y. And then as far as for YouTube, you can just search Tony Gun and find my uh, find my channel and give me a subscribe. Uh, I keep it updated weekly so I, ha- I always have new content coming up every week uh so you always can see new videos and things of that nature and i think it's uh, pretty good content as far as uh wrestling goes and also uh you're at um ovw every week as well right just in case people that live in the louisville area or nearby can go catch yeah, you yeah yeah exactly you know ohio-, ohio valley wrestling every wednesday we have our television taping it's off the, uh, it's 4400 Shepherdsville Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40218. And it's every Wednesday. Doors open at 6, show starts at 7, usually ends about 845, somewhere around there. So it's still a decent time uh, to bring your kids and get them home and get them into bed before, you know, before school the next day. 
Uh, and it, it is a family-oriented show, so you don't have to worry about, oh, man, I don't know if I should bring my kids to this or not because, you know, it's it's wrestling. You know, uh, it's it's entertaining. Uh, there's a lot of characters. And like I said, we run a very, a very clean family-oriented show, so it's good to bring the family to. All right. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast tonight out of your busy schedule. Oh, yeah, yeah, I stay pretty busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do. I mean, you teach kids and you work out, so that's kind of a busy schedule. And also defending that belt and kicking ass in the ring. Exactly, man. I do it all. <laughs> <laughs> I love that atti- attitude. That's why they call you the shotgun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right, and everybody else, uh, thank you for listening to Wrestle Podcast. Good night. Good evening, everybody. This is Robin Nelson with another edition of Wrestle Podcast. And you can listen to Wrestle Podcast at Podcast City Network at podcastcity.net. And you can listen to my live podcast at Wrestle Podcast on Spreaker.com and also on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher Radio. And you can follow me at Twitter at WPopCast1 and also at Facebook at Wrestle Podcast. And my special guest today, I've been waiting for this all week. My guest is Dr. David Schultz. How's it going, Dr. David? Hey, it's Dr. D, but Dr. David, I'll answer that too. It's doing great. I'm down here in the great state of Tennessee, and there's about a 105 heat factor today. And, uh, man, I've been sweating. I'm going to have to go eat something to keep my weight up. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, you... uh, it's hot down here. Where are you at? I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh, you're in the air-conditioned country. Okay, that's a good place to be. <laughs> but I grew up in California where um, I grew up out in oh. the dry heat, 115 to 120 degrees. Oh, uh, no, I get hot thinking about it. I feel so sorry for them people out there. All the fires, yep. all the uh, disasters they're having. Man, it's, it's, I mean, you know, nobody knows uh, what it's like, those people, what they're going to. And, you know, real heroes are the firefighters, those are what you call heroes, out there fighting, day and night fighting those fires. Man, that's got to take some stamina, and uh, those people are dedicated. And I'm going to tell you, they've saved a lot of stuff. I mean, they can't save everything, but without them, can you imagine without them what it would have been? Oh, I know. It would have been horrible if they weren't out there. Um, California would probably be half burnt down. Yeah, really. Okay, go ahead. I didn't mean to get off on Okay, that's all right. Um, You have a new book out. Um, You worked with a a wrestling historian, John Cosper. It's called Don't Call Me Fake, The Real Story of Dr. D. David Schultz. What decides you to uh, write this book? Well, you know, I've been trying since uh, in the 90s to uh, write a book, and it's been the the first two I tried to write got squashed by different promoters, uh, wrestling promoters. Uh, you know, billionaires can get anything done they want. And uh, you just finally say, well, it's better for me not to do it. 
because I'm never going to get it published. I'm going to hold it up in court and everything else, so you just wipe it clean. But I met John, and John's a great writer, and we worked about a year and a half on it. And the thing about me, I save everything. I guess I'm a hoarder or whatever. I don't throw nothing away. And as we were doing it, he said, oh, my goodness, David, you mean you've got all these photos? You've got this here, you got that, you've got, oh, my goodness, you got all your booking sheets, all your posts, you got everything. Yes, I do. And everything in the book is true. Absolutely 100% true. Nothing's phony. Now, we did change some names in the bounty hunting part because we didn't want the families of people that I had picked up 20, 30 years ago. Uh, now they probably got kids of their own. The kids have got kids, you know, and uh, you didn't want to destroy a family that they made one mistake and they paid for it. And now they're, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? We changed the names where it wouldn't incriminate them again and bring back old memories on them, you know. But, uh, you know, the bounty hunting part of it, I love that. John did a good job on that. The wrestling was great john you know like you said the wrestling historia i had to get him off of it i said john leave the wrestling alone we need to do some bounty hunting stuff <laughs> and he had no idea about bounty hunting and then i started showing him and telling him and uh you know and he said oh my goodness that i mean it's like me talking to a person that has no idea so i'm trying to make him understand what he's doing so as he's starting to write it my wife told him said oh, you gotta be better than that man you're making it sound like he walks downtown gets a piece of paper run knocks on the door and the guy goes to jail with him uh, ain't like that uh, I bet so what got you into bounty hunting I'm sorry what got you into bounty hunting well after I got through wrestling uh, I was still wrestling overseas and different places up there wrestling uh, started to black ball me and uh Get rid of me, and uh, I needed, uh, you know, to make some good money. And I was still making pretty good money wrestling. But uh, I remember uh, Deputy Sheriff asked me, said, "Would you like to do some bounty hunting?" I said, "Well, yeah." At that time, run through my mind, riding a horse out west, you know, with a duster on, shotgun, and all this here. No, it wasn't like that. <laughs> anyway, he introduced me to some bondsmen. And uh, they said they had all kind of skips that they couldn't get in. Nobody could get them in. And the guy they wanted in real bad was a motorcycle guy. And he rode with the Diablo motorcycle gang up in uh, New Britain. I believe it's New Britain, somewhere up around New Britain, Hartford, Connecticut. And I said, well, I'd have to go talk to the head guy, the motorcycle club. You know, you don't do anything against a bike gang unless you get their approval or their blessing or whatever. I wasn't anyway. So I went and talked to him. He said, yes, sir, you got our you got our permission to do whatever. We need this guy in. We need him in there. Be careful. He's a bad guy. He will shoot you in a drop of a pen. Just boom. I said, okay, don't worry about it. I'd never done anything like that. So I found him in two days and waited for him on the street corner like I was waiting on a bus. When he come around the corner, I grabbed him, put a nine millimeter in his mouth, and he dropped to his knees. I handcuffed him, and it was all over. Boom. Made a good payday, and uh, then they started giving me all these other skips, and uh, I kept bringing them in, bringing them in. I mean, I'd bring them in from time 10 a week. Uh, they had no idea where they were, you know. And over the years, I developed a great, a great, uh, contacts uh, 
contact line, a snitch line, whatever you call it. I had people in the welfare department. I had people in Social Security. I had people ATF. I had people in the police departments. I had people everywhere. And, you know, nobody does anything for you unless you pay them. Yeah, that's absolutely you true, too. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Um, did you also work with uh, Dog the Bounty Hunter as well? No, never did. Never met the dog. Uh, I, I've never had a kid in Hawaii and all that. Uh, he's a he's a different kind. I, I never knew he existed. I mean, he works in Hawaii and, uh, you know, Chapman's. And, uh, you know, I, I bet he does got, got a TV show, and he, I guess he's doing pretty good. Uh, but he needs to come up and work in New York City. Hell's Kitchen, 2 o'clock in the morning, by yourself. And you're going into a building that's got 2,000 families living in it. And you're going in to get one drug dealer out of that building and you're by yourself because the police won't go with you. They don't have to go with you. And they won't go with you down there. So 2 o'clock in the morning, you're Hell's Kitchen down the Bronx and you got to get this guy out of the building. And you know what apartment he's in. So that's when a guy knows that uh, he knows what he's doing if he goes up there and gives him out. I took TV people up there and they just turn around and go back to their van and leave. They want nothing to do with it. You know. And, uh, you know, I, I did most of it. I, I did 80% of it by myself. Never had a guy with me. I mean, a lot of times I use guys. If I get somebody to go with me, I trust you. You know, you got to have somebody you trust. And, it, you know, I developed a, a way to get people in that I had no problem bringing anybody in. I don't think I ever missed anybody. Now, I did miss people I'd be working on, say, six months, and then the police pick them up in Dallas, Texas. And, of course, once they picked them up, there was no sense of me. I can't pick him up. He's already been arrested, so I'm off the, they're off the bond. So they called me and said, hey, we don't need him no more. So my deal with the bondman was if that happens, they have to pay for my expenses up to that day. You know, and they did the bondsman I worked for, and I worked for bondsmen in probably 40, 45 states in the United States, finding people. I went to Cairo, Egypt, got a guy. I was in San Domingo just about every two weeks, which is almost impossible to get a guy out. I had no trouble. But, uh, you know, I'd go to Jamaica, had no trouble there. Uh, just have to be careful. Keep your eyes wide open. I mean, it's a dangerous occupation. I bet it is, too. Um, Didn't you also get arrested while trying to capture a skip? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Got arrested. Sure did. Had the skip behind the door. Had a used password. It's in the book, matter of fact, this whole story, but I'll tell you a short version. Okay. The police told me they was going to arrest me if I went through that door, if I kicked that door well, the skip on the other side said, I'm going to shank him if he comes through this door. And the news, I mean, the TV station was there with a the camera and they're filming this. And you know it's illegal to pursue a threat. Really? I mean, the person behind the door saying they're going to shoot you if you come through that door. You better not go through that door. And if you do go through that door, you're breaking the law because you can't pursue a threat. Now, Police got in there, they got involved, and they told me they were going to arrest me if I was going through the door. I said, well, I'm going through the door as soon as y'all leave. And he said, we're going to take you to jail. Well, and they searched me and found two, three guns. I think it was two guns. <laughs> but they was all legal. I'm licensed, and I, you know, everything was good. And they locked me up and charged me with, uh, I forget what they charged me with, and with uh, police 
case, and I don't know how to do that to interfere with me. Anyway, went to court. They dismissed the case, threw it completely out, and we sued Hartford Police Department, and they actually gave me $25,000 to settle out of court. Hey, that's awesome. I, I, yeah, I think you guys didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, yeah, yeah. I've been, uh, I've been locked up a few times on the Never charged and never convicted of anything, but locked up. And, you know, when you go to a strange town and you don't know anybody, and the person you're fixing to try to pick up might be the sheriff's cousin or brother, especially in Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, down through there. Uh, you know, you got to be careful down there. I bet. You know, you, you get lost in one of these here penal farms, and they still have them. And once they, uh, they'll get you for anything. But I never had any problem. I guess I thought I had that old Southern accent. And I respected the law and did what I was supposed to do. And I was a deputy sheriff. And I was a constable in Alabama. And, uh, you know, I, I, I married the law. They, let me tell you, they have a hard job. And they do a good job. And the thing about them, the people I'm looking for, they've already arrested them and put them behind bars. And the bondsman bonded them out. They took off. Now, it's like they don't want to find him. They already found him once. So they don't care if they find him or not. I, I do because I get paid and I pick him up. <laughs> hey, the payday's great, I bet. Um, you were also saved by uh, Buford Pusser. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah. Well, when we were young, you know, we used to fight every weekend. We'd go out. We'd go to Selma, Tennessee. That's where Buford, uh, Adamsville, Tennessee, all that. We weren't especially looking for Buford that night. We were down there to fight some guys that wanted to fight us. And that was something we did. You know, everybody fought. It was just the thing that we did on the weekend. We'd go to Humboldt, Mile. I mean, you know, towns are 20, 25 miles away. We'd go to the little hangout, hamburger joint or whatever. We'd see who wanted to fight. And, you know, and it just so happened we got outnumbered that night in Selma. And we had to leave town abruptly, and uh, we got pulled over. And it just happened to be Buford Pusser pulling us over down here close to the McNary County line. And Buford wasn't a big deal then because he's still living, you know. I mean, he just don't know you boys get on back down there to Jackson Tunes. So he don't come back down. So I go, okay. And he had to look up to him, the, the big fella. And uh, we didn't think nothing about it until years later, you know, uh, after he got killed out here. I bet as well. So, oh yeah, <laughs> I bet. So, um, what influenced you to uh, become a pro wrestler? And you were also trained by Herb Welch. Yes, yes. Herb Welch. Uh, I stopped at his house in Dysburg, Tennessee, and I was running an option selling truck, a uh, welding truck. I was a certified welder, and you know, I just happened to hook up with this job and. I was about 20 years old, I forget. I got out of the service and all, and you know, I stopped to talk to Herb, and <clears throat> he agreed to train me $300. $300, a lot of money back then. And I said, okay. So I went out, and Herb stretched me, and I was about 45 miles away. 
And when I'd get home, I'd have to blow the horn for my wife to come out and help me out of the car. I couldn't get out of the car. I mean, people laugh at that. They say, what do you mean you can get out of the car? Well, <laughs> getting ready with Herb Welch or any other wrestler that knows what he's doing. And back then, they didn't want you in wrestling. They wanted to hurt you and see if you could take it. They would stretch you. They would stretch your limbs. You had no idea that you could reach around and touch your other ear with your arm on the other side. And you know, all this stretching and stuff and this beating they did to you, the next day or that night, a couple hours later, you couldn't even get out of the car. So my wife had to help me out, get in the house. I had to get up and go to work at 5 o'clock in the morning. And I'd do it again two days later, three days later. Come back, same thing for about two or three weeks. And then it started lightening up. You know, it's like the muscles, I guess, get repaired and the joints. Everything, I mean. <laughs> but let me tell you, he showed me a lot of valuable stuff. Matter of fact, after three months, the wrestlers that was coming in to work out with me, I had no idea that wrestling was, uh, what you call it, You went out there and you fought the best guy won. Yeah. These wrestlers were coming in working out with him. And they were, and they told Herb, said, listen, you're going to have to spark this kid up, man. He's going to hurt one of us, or we're going to hurt him, uh, trying not to hurt him. So, you know, I was going through a force, and they were, uh, you know, having a hard time to keep me going. And these were the old timers, too, man. They said, hey, we were going to hurt Called me outside. I said, boy, you ain't going to make a dime the way you're going. And uh, he told me, you know, the little wrestler told me about the Well, that's the way it goes. You had to prove you was capable, had to prove you was tough enough, and I think you are. Now we're going to start teaching you right. And that, from that day I was okay, but he told me, he said, don't forget what I taught you because you're going to need it all through the business, but don't let the promoters know you know how to take care of yourself because they'll never use you in a high-paying position, belts and stuff, because who's going to take it off of you? Uh, that made sense, but I didn't have any trouble. Back then, fifty cents get you a cup of coffee, but uh, you know the promises is what you went on. The promoter, the liars, uh, uh, you know, thieves, uh, and all of their promises, promises, and promises. And I ain't the only wrestler that ever been promised all this stuff. Most of the guys have. I bet. Um, I'm getting up information now for my second book, which is going to really expose a bunch of things about promoters and wrestlers and everything else. We won't get into that, though. But anyway. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so, um, t- tell me about your relationship with Hulk Hogan. You met him when he was, like, green in a ring first starting out. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Uh, he's in Pensacola, Florida. He comes to Panama City one night. Come in the back door. That, uh, hey, guys, and, uh, I mean, you know, he's he a monster man. And, uh, and, you know, after that, he went to Pensacola. And, uh, I don't 
know if he had a place to stay then. I don't think he did. I think he stayed with me. And we got to be good friends and worked out together all the time. You know, and when he come to Tennessee, he stayed with me and my wife and my daughter because he had no money to get in the room or anything. He was sleeping in a van. And, uh, he, you know, and we helped him get everything we could. Well, we were good friends. It wasn't like uh, no charity or anything. We enjoyed him and everything. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, Ben's come along and uh, I guess Hogan whined a lot about me. I was too rough on him or something. And uh, Ben told him, hey, it's either David or me. And he decided he'd go this, which was the best move. Sure, I mean, you know. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, I trusted this guy. I mean, he was a good friend. And when he wouldn't speak to me anymore and talk to me anymore about anything, and Vince uh, McBad got rid of me on that time. And Hogan wouldn't even speak to me about it or anything else. And, you know, but I guess he got mad because I kept talking about his head, his big head. You know, in the interviews, uh, I'd tell him about his big head. This guy got the biggest head in the world. And, you know, Hogan I'm talking about. Oh. Big, uh, uh, like a big head. He was a big head. And he used to tell me, David, quit talking about my head. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, why? He said, well, you just need to quit talking about how big it is. Well, everybody says it's big. Why shouldn't I talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> why not, man? Why not? So um, I saw a couple of videos of yours. Um, can you tell me about the uh, family video you did? Which one is that now? The kids and the girl? Yeah, the kids and the girl one. And then after that, I heard uh, the Tennessee uh, Child Protective Services got a lot of calls by some concerned people after you did that video with your wife, and, the wife and the kids. Well, that was done down in Maryland. Uh, we used to do Tuesday Night Titans, I believe it was, uh, down for Vince. And Vince, I got down there and he said, David, we got your house out here. We got your house we're going out here and we're going to shoot a show. You go in there and just be bad. We want you to be the baddest person around. We want people to hate you. Okay? And that's when they introduced me to the girl. I never did remember her name. And the kids was crying. I was doing stuff. You know, everybody was I talked to her. I told her, hey, let's just, just go with what I say and everything. Nobody's nobody going to bother you. It's just a show. Anyway, we did the show. And the girl was scared to death, too. Everybody was scared, I guess. And then I said, just ad living, go through it. And, you know, we did it. And uh, the next week after it showed, uh, I was told that they come to the WWL office on Monday, the sheriff, and uh, DCYS came up there, wanted my address, my home address. They had warrants for me. They were going to lock me up for child abuse and spousal abuse. And I guess Ben told me, hey, that's a, that was a, that's a show, that's a movie, that was just a, 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 a skit. <laughs> I guess he said that uh, uh, show really didn't like that. He said, oh, what do you mean? Yeah, well, that's what it was. It was so good. They believed it. Everybody believed it. Yeah. Um, believed it. And she said, you, uh, I can't believe you did that. I said, well, it's just a show. Shut my eyes. <laughs> she got kind of upset about it, but you know, she knew I was following orders. I was doing what I was told to do. 
And that's what I always did from day one. I did what the promoter told me to do, what he was paying me to do. And, you know, that's what happened with Stossel. I was told to do what I did. Go out, blast him, tear his ass up, stay in character, Dr. D. And after I went out and the two slaps come back in, Vince said, that's great, you did great. Uh, We're gonna go ahead and put you on early with Anoki. And they pulled me down. I was supposed to be pretty close to the last match or whatever, but they put down a Nokia myself. And after I got through, Ben said, Go on to the hotel. We want to get you out of here. Stossel's saying he's hurt. And the uh, athletic commission said he suffered no damage at all. No damage. And, uh, and then from then on, everybody started making up different things that happened, even though they can look at the tape. Oh, that he just got slapped in the face. Not only ears. And you know, this guy went on TV, national TV. I'm talking about John Stossel now. He, he had a talk show. Uh-huh. He went, he went on the show and he said, I was in a situation with scammers and crooks and all this here. And I got, I got uh, beat up or whatever, he said. And he said, you know, but my injuries was jurosomatic. He said, that means that once I got paid, I didn't have no more injuries. I didn't hurt no more. That is words, crazy. This guy lied from day one, and that was on national TV on the Stossel Show. I couldn't believe anybody go out and admit to uh, lying on federal depositions, uh, court documents. And, uh, you know, and they said his ear was busted, and uh, athletic doctors said, ain't nothing wrong with him. And I heard that uh, there, there was never any evidence he ever had any damage to his ears. But that's the way the ball goes. Uh, interviewers, TV personality, what does Trump, what does Trump call it? Cookie news. <laughs> or fake news. Yeah, it is a sight, man. But, you know, everything they say uh, is not what it was. In other words, there are a bunch of lies being told. So keep your ears wide open and believe nothing you hear and half of what you see. And you'll come out great. Oh, I totally believe that as well. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. Um, Also, you have a VHS tape as well, right? Oh, yes, yes. Of the whole thing, so um, yes, I do. Yes, I do. I got the original tape that was uh, given court documents, and they was turned over to me uh, after everything was uh, settled or whatever. I had no exposure to this thing. See, that case was settled without me, without any knowledge of me, without me doing anything, and I was never sued. Vince McMahon was sued, not me. Vince McMahon got sued, and I was never arrested or charged with any kind of crime on that. And they hate to tell people that. But I was never, and never did agree to pay John Stossel a penny. And then after John, after Vince McMahon went and paid him $425,000 in his insurance company, Vince come to me and said, I want you to pay me my $425,000. I don't think so. And uh, then from then, uh, the court cases started for the next seven years. Yeah, it just... Uh, Vince McMahon tried to put me and my wife and my kid now out of our house onto the street. 
He had our property, attachments on our properties, and Tennessee and there, and had enough lawyers, enough power to do that. And, you know, that was so pathetic of this piece of garbage to do something like that. And uh, anyway, I won't get in. Yeah. Hey, at least we got that out of the way, too. Um, tell us about the night you were fired. Well, uh, when were I fired? Do you know? Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, John told me to ask you that question, and I was trying to look it up and figure it out. So I don't know when or where it was you were fired. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> I, the night I hit Stossel, I was sent to the hotel, and he kept booking me. Uh, like nothing's wrong. And then, uh, out in L.A. one night, Mr. T was out there, and uh, we was talking, and it's in the book. Got a picture of me and Mr. T in the hallway. We talked about 45 minutes, and he was going out to watch the matches, and he was telling me about he's going to be at WrestleMania and all that. And I said, great, man. That's a great move and all this here, this here. So, as the matches started up, Jay Strongbow come in and said, Caesar said to fire you if you talk to Mr. T. I said, well, yeah, okay. Uh, so I'm fired? He said, yep. I said, okay. So I packed my bag, so I walked out to the ring. I was going to watch some of the match going on, and the police come out, about, I don't know, seven or eight of them, and they grabbed me and told me that I had to leave, okay. And they went through the routine, put me down on my knees, okay, no problem. I'm not going to resist, you know. I laid down, they handcuffed my hands behind my back, they handcuffed my feet together, shackled my feet together to my hands, and picked me up, about six of them, and toted me out of there, out to the back by the dressing rooms, and two of them had guns pointing to my head. What? That's right, that's right, that's exactly right. And they pointed to my head, and one of the English wrestlers come out and said, Hey guys, y'all don't need guns pointing at his head. He can't move. And I don't know why y'all doing him this way anyway. Anyway, they took the handcuffs off and said, Get out that back door, don't you come back in this building ever again. And I walked out the back door, and all of a sudden my bags got thrown out at me. Almost knocked me out with my bag. Oh, that. that- Ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And then later on, Vince McMahon said he fired me because I hit Stossel. Well, uh, and then later on after that, I was told that I was fired because I was too violent. And I was hurting too many people. And then I was told that I was uh, too destructive outside the ring. That people would try to attack me and I'd protect myself. And... I wasn't supposed to do that, I don't guess, you know. That's pretty... Like I told the guy the other day, hell, I'm going to Chicago. I can't even take my gun to Illinois because I don't have an Illinois permit. I have permits in 26 other states, but not Illinois. And, you know, I mean, I don't know what kind of joke that is. Going to a city, Chicago, where 50 people a week get shot, and I can't take my gun. 
<laughs> well, I'm going to stay in the hotel room. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. I uh, know. That's what I'm saying. I, mean, I don't understand some of these things they do, you know, the laws and stuff. I'm saying, gosh. Everybody got a gun in Chicago. <laughs> exactly. And you're going to be heading to... St- Anyone know? I'll end up Cook County Jail for no time long, so I ain't going to be taking no gun with me. You know, that, you know, I, like I said, I obey the law. I yeah. I'm not against the law. I'm not going to break the law, knowingly break the law. Uh, I mean, I have all respect for the world for policemen. Some of them don't need to be policemen, but that's just the way it is. Anything you go, you got some people don't need to do what they're doing. But it doesn't matter say they are or not, you know? Yeah, especially, I know you're going to be heading up to StarCast in Chicago, and that's crazy, you know, you're not allowed to bring your gun into, you know, the state of Illinois, you're going to go up to StarCast to see some great fans and all that, but you don't know if you're going to bump into some crazy lunatic on the streets of Chicago, man. That's right, and uh, I'm not going to be downtown Chicago, Cisco Avenue and over, I'm going to be right out there by, by the airport, a little more secure, Schomburg, you know, I mean, not really, but. You know, it's uh, not down in the bowels of Chicago. <laughs> 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 you, know, you go down to Chicago, down in the bowels of Chicago, 12 o'clock at night, you're asking if something happened to you. Oh, I, I totally believe it as well. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, just like that in Cincinnati, too. You go down there at 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, I picked up a bunch of people in Cincinnati, you know, take them back to Connecticut and stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, that can be a violent place, too, now, downtown. It's just they got a little more control. They just don't have uh, many people as they do in Chicago. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. You know, that's uh, any town you go to. You know. Yeah. Um, also, um, you did a tour in Japan with uh, David Boy Smith and the Dynamite Kid, and you guys worked okay. together. What was that like? Oh, great. Well, you know, Dynamite and David Boy was with me in Canada for three years, uh, you know, and we all got along real good. And uh, Japan, uh, I think I had five tours over there. Oh, I know, I think it was five. Not a long time ago. But uh, Dynamite Kid and Davey Boy and me, we was, uh, you know, we were hard to handle over there, you know. And, uh, of course, we pushed each other and uh, agged it on. And uh, those boys over there like to fight anyway, you know, like to get roughed, you know. So I enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I was in Egypt and...
and uh, you know, it's a strange thing going up where everybody's telling you something. You say, okay, okay, that's good, that's good, and it never happened. And you look back and say, why didn't I get him the college is unheard of back then, you know. Exactly. Um, you also the got. Is, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I was finished. Okay, sorry. I didn't hear if you were done yet. That's why I was trying to ask you another question. Sorry about that. Um, you also got in a, a real fight with Haku as well. Is that correct? With who? Haku. No. Okay, that no. must have been a rumor. Cause... No, no. Haku? That's the toughest guy in the world, I think. <laughs> Haku I mean, if it's the same one I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, we're friends, as far as I know. I mean, uh, okay. I've never had any problem with him. That guy, don't, he don't go around looking for people to pick on or anything. Oh, that's and good. He's there to fight you now if you want to fight. <laughs> and, uh, I've never had no problem with him at all, man. So what were your thoughts about Rowdy Rowdy Piper? Well, uh, I didn't have much thoughts about Everybody loved him, and uh, he got a push everywhere he went. And uh, you know, I worked with him a lot with tag team partners and everything. I enjoyed working with him, and yeah, but it just seemed like some people get all the breaks, and you know, the other guys just have to step back while these guys and Lanny got the break. Jim Barnett was down there, and that was one of Jim Barnett's boys, as you say, and uh, you know, but. I mean, there's no jealousy or anything. I, he has nothing to be jealous about. And I wasn't jealous of nobody because I could work as good or better than anybody out there. And, uh, you know, I wasn't worried about that with nobody. And, uh, but Roddy, he, he evidently did a good job. They all liked him. And, uh, you know, he had a lot of TV time. He sure did. <laughs> anybody on TV that much, man, you well, you don't worry about anything if you're on TV that much. But, exactly. but that was a good break for him and his family. And, uh, you know, and he, uh, you know, I've seen a couple of shows he did acting. And, he, uh, he's a pretty good actor, too. He, he was okay. Uh, with that. But, uh, I never did think that, uh, Roddy was a great worker, uh, in the ring. I, I've seen him miss too many punches and, uh, you know, that, I guess that was just Roddy not wanting to hurt anybody. See, I didn't care. I was going to hit the guy. When I hit him, I was going to hit him. I wasn't going to miss him no five or six inches. And if he couldn't take it, you know, uh, that's tough. He just had to do whatever he had to do, you know. But you ain't supposed to be throwing punches anyway in wrestling, as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would hate to be hit by you, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. That's it, yeah. But, uh, you know, like I said, I have no regrets, man. I had a great life. Uh-huh. I'm doing great. I'm in great shape. I'm not, uh, you know, uh, in a wheelchair or anything. Yep. And I, I still work all the time. Well, I, I choose my jobs. I work in the fall a lot. And, uh, you know, and in the winter, I just try to keep the house warm with wood and uh, sit out here in my... 70 something acres and just enjoy the animals and whatever else. And, uh, uh, like I said, I, uh, I'm happy. I don't know how these people that make millions, make millions of dollars can be so happy. Oh, 
gosh, I mean, how can a person that's worth forty, fifty million dollars? I mean, I mean, I, it just it staggered my mind to see why these people are happy. I mean, can't they live on that? I mean, do they think they're going to live for three or four hundred years? No, <laughs> that's not going to happen. That's straight from Doctor D's mouth. I promise you, they're going to die. Oh, I bet. Because once they're die, all gonna die, they're all going to die. If you listen to this podcast, I want to tell you, you're going to die. <laughs> and people go, oh my God, he said I was going to die. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, why do you want to I mean, be miserable with that kind of money and keep working or try to keep working when you got that kind of money? Hey, that's true. What was your most memorable moment in your career? My most miserable moment? Miserable and and memorable, yeah. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you. uh, Memorable in my career was when I started wrestling and was asked to come to work for Nick Lewis and work in Memphis, Tennessee. Jerry Lawler and myself main event Memphis. And I, that's when I figured, hey, okay, I'm main event. They must think I'm good enough to be main event. I'm good. I'm on my way, right? But And then you got the other memorable things where, uh, you know, promising they promise you. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, this, this is great. They're going to do this with me. They're going to do this. And I come home and tell my wife, and mm-hmm. here, two months later, everything falls and shit. That's miserable now when you've been promised all this stuff and it just falls apart. And, uh, you know, I don't have many miserable. I always kept myself pretty happy. And uh, I'm a happy kind of fella anyway. And uh, people just don't understand that. And, you know, I hate to have people to talk about me. If they want to talk about me, they should come to my face and talk to me and ask me or tell me, tell me to my face. And, uh, you know, I have no fear of no man, no man alive or dead, but <laughs> I, have, I have no fear. Uh, I mean, you know, face to face is fine. Uh, people got things they want to say about me. Come to my place and tell me about it. Uh, a lot of these wrestlers uh, talk about me and say this about me, say this about me. Well, Best thing to do is come talk to me face to face. Oh, oh I'm not going to talk to him face to face. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep talking long distance. <laughs> I tell you, I, I don't know. I've just got a different uh, perspective on life. You know, me and my wife, we've been married 49 years, and, uh, you know, I'm such a bad guy. I have. Uh, Class three gun permits, and uh, everybody talks about me. Says I'm a criminal. Uh, I'm a felon. No, I'm not. I know I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> but that's for another book, ain't it? Yeah, I'm looking forward to that second book you're talking about. I can't oh, wait. Let me tell you, a lot of people are gonna go down for the count on that one, my friend. Oh, there's gonna probably be a lot of people gonna be scared and running uh, and hiding. Uh, Yes, a whole lot of top names and people are going to shake, rattle, and roll when it comes out. They're going to say, oh my God, how can he say that? Well, everything I say and everything I do is in print. 
Yes. I have copies of it. I mean, I'm not making stories up. I can prove anything I say anytime. Yes. By print, court papers, documentation. I have all that because I think I told you earlier. I think I'm yep. a lawyer. Yep. Um, also, is uh, <laughs> I bet is I would love to come to your house and see all your oh, stuff. I'd be amazed. I told John, I told John, I took him three different carloads up there, books and papers and, <laughs> yeah. and all that. I said, John, why don't you just come down to my house, go into one of my storage containers, 40-foot storage containers, and just have a good time. And, uh, oh, my God, he said, I couldn't go through all that stuff. <laughs> I said, well, what you're going through, you're just going through a partial, and you're skipping through it. You're not reading everything. Yeah. Said, my God, David, it'd take a man a year to read all that stuff. Shoot, probably two years. Yeah, that's just one box. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading out there the other day, you know, and uh, uh, it's fascinating what those, uh, you know, what happens. Uh, I'll tell you one thing, there were some tapes that went, went missing that, you know, uh, implicates some high-level promoters in different uh, aspects of sexual relations with teenage girls. Wow! These tapes were stolen from me by the promoters and their lawyers, and they was never returned to me, even under court orders. Turn return them to me. And they would never return to me. But my attorney told me, David, if you don't turn these tapes over by 12 o'clock tonight, you can never speak of these tapes again because the court has ordered you to turn them over. Okay? But if you turn them over, you're not going to get them back. But you can talk about what's on them tapes for the rest of your life. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute now. What if I make copies? And she said, no, can't make copies. No, copies are not admissible in court. So I had to turn them over, and she begged for them back, and even the judge ordered these certain promoters and uh, lawyers to turn them back. I have not got them yet. But I do know what was on the tapes, and my wife knows what's on them, and my lawyer knows what's on them, and and a legal knows what's on and several other people read them so uh, my lawyer said that's the best thing to do just remember what's on them make notes and then you can talk about it in whatever way you want to do it but if you don't turn them over tonight by 12 you can never speak of them again wow I thought that was kind of strange but I guess she's a attorney that was pretty smart I mean her husband was good bars you know Dick Mars? Uh, no, I don't. Oh, you have to know Dick Mars. Bill Clinton's the guy that helped him get uh, elected and worked for him. Uh, the one that was caught with uh, uh, the ladies, uh, they caught him sucking her toes or something. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't funny. <laughs> I didn't mean to make you laugh. Uh, <laughs> oh, it was funny. Sucking <laughs> toes? <laughs> Oh, wow. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. She was a great attorney. I mean, but now uh, she's kind of running scared. Don't want to get involved with it because she said, David, that you're fixing to write about. I said, well, 
saying I shouldn't write about it? Well, no, write about it. I'm just telling you. She said, I don't want nothing to do with it. Oh, that's... Say, you don't want nothing to do with it. You was my attorney. You're the one who told me to do whatever I had to do and everything. Oh, yeah, she said, I'll help you then, but I moved 100000 down, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think so. Oh, that's you crazy. You turn tapes over. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, uh, the tapes uh, have never been returned. And uh, and then uh, the, some of the lawyers that had the tapes, they had the audacity to tell my attorney, oh, those tapes was inaudible. They was, uh, 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 you couldn't even understand them. She said, we had no, no problem understanding them when I took them down here and turned them over to be shipped to you. Of course, here we go. La, 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 la. You, I hate a liar, and I hate a, I hate a thief, and I hate a drunk. Those three things I could do without. And I do not want to deal with a liar or a thief at all. But a lot of the wrestlers around are drunks and alcoholic and druggies and everything like that, and I learn to deal with them, you know. I ignore them, but, uh, you know, still. That's the way it is. You have to deal with them somewhere. Somewhere down the line, you got to deal with them. And, uh, but, see, there you, you got stuff you never knew there, see? I don't, I don't know if we, I don't think we put that in the book about the tapes. Uh, I don't know if we did or not. Wow, this is an exclusive then on my show. <laughs> I did what now, baby? I said this, this is an exclusive. Oh, so my wife. My wife said I apologize uh, in a chapter in the book uh-huh. because I didn't put the tapes in there about the tapes. Okay. So on your they, book... If I put it in there, they would want to express it. And yep. the book, I wanted, I wanted to be out there. Uh, I didn't want to get all the scum uh, in there. I wanted a book to explain about wrestling, bounty hunting, my life. My family, the mm-hmm. way I, I was done, the whole thing. I mean, and that's what we did. We kept all the, uh, I call it garbage, but it's very important garbage. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, that come out and all this stuff. Yeah, I saw in your so book. It, it, yeah, it will get out there, though. Oh, I bet, and I can't wait to read it all of it and see it all of it. And it's going to be so funny because all these people are going to be looking at you, and they're going to be so scared. Oh, yeah. They're going to be so scared oh, of yeah. you. And kissing your butt. Be, hey, a lot of us would be looking at me too. But yep. I think all they'll do is look, you know. Yep. And uh, you know, you know, Ryan. Let me let me just say one thing. Go ahead. You know, the wrestling today, you know, I got, I got I got a great friend up in Connecticut. Okay. Steve Tracy. He runs the uh, Paradise Alley Wrestling School up there around New Haven, East Haven, Connecticut. He's running shows all up in that part of the country with guys that he's trained down there, and you know. Those uh, those matches at those uh, little uh, high schools and National Guard armies and everything once a week, you know, people want to get entertained and, and and enjoy wrestling shows. Those are the kind of shows they need to go to. You know, I mean, you go to them, you, you don't get broke. You, you know, you take your family for uh, a family of four, probably $30, $25, instead of paying, uh, you know, a couple of hundred to go to one of the other big shows on TV and all and be disappointed in everything. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of promising wrestlers out there working in these small shows because the small shows are coming back. They're coming back big time. And, uh, 
I, I know you told me about one up in uh, Clarksville, Tennessee. Yep. I'm going to have to make a point, go up there, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. That's where I was stationed and uh, two different times. And uh, I love that area, and I didn't know that they had that wrestling program going there. And I'm definitely going to have to uh, go up there and look into that. You should. It's called Tried and True Pro Wrestling. And what was it now? One more time. Uh, tried and True Pro Wrestling. Tried and True. Yeah, T- it's T-R-I-E-D. And then okay. and then N is a Nancy. And then T-R-U-E Pro Wrestling. Okay, I got it. It's in Clarksville, Tennessee. It's run by a professional wrestler by the name of Crimson. Sometimes Jeff Jarrett uh, comes over and wrestles as well. They got a great roster, a great talent, and everything. Um, it's worth going. Um, my friend Doug Markham is a referee there, and he finally got oh. talk. Doug Markham. Yep, I've heard that name. I think I've met him. Before. Oh, you've met Markham really. It's quick when you say that name. <laughs> yeah, Doug Markham's a cool ref. He knows what he's doing in the business. Yeah, and I'm going to get a hold of my guy, Steve Tracy, up in Connecticut, and I'm going to get this uh, guy's phone number up here, and I'm going to have Steve and him get together, and I'm going to get the information to you, too, about Steve, because let me tell you, Steve Tracy's one heck of a guy, man. he uh, he got to be 17 dollars. Yeah, it, yeah, and plus, Steve Tracy, you trained him as well. And also, isn't he a Bell Bondsman too? Yeah, he's a Bell Bondsman. See, he followed you. <laughs> Besides me, yeah, I try. I trained Steve. I trained him. Uh, you know, in wrestling, and then he became a. Uh, he worked with me as a Bell Bondsman, as a bounty hunter. And then I got him into the bell bond business, and he liked that a lot more staying at home, you know, because we went on some dangerous situations, Steve and myself. Matter of fact, a few of them's in the book there. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, but he was a guy I could trust, and I do, hey, he's that. He's a Italian boy, and he's, hey, <laughs> hey, dogs are the big out here. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And sp- he seems like a tough guy, too. Tough guy. I wouldn't want to mess with him or you in the dark, Ollie. Tough guy, but nice guy. Nice guy. If you treat him nice, he treats you nice. But a lot of times you can't treat people nice. And they want to run over you. But, you know, Steve's a tight guy. You take it so far, you go, hey, that's it. It's over. Come on. <laughs> exactly. He, he's a good guy, man. He does a lot for the senior citizens up there in Connecticut. He's always doing things for the senior citizens of Utah, Haven, uh, New Haven, all that area. I mean, nice guy. Just an all-around nice guy. And he's doing a hell of a job on the wrestling shows up there. And I'm going to try to get up there and uh, help him out a little bit and, you know, go to the school and kind of watch those guys. I don't know if I want to get in there with them. Not that they may hurt me. <laughs> no, they won't hurt. They won't hurt I you. Especially in your book, it was also forward by Bret Hart. That's kind of cool. Oh yeah, Bret Hart and me go way back. Calgary 
and uh, what he said in that book was, uh, you know, Brett was a good friend of mine, man. I mean, all the hearts were. And uh, Stu Hart was one of the best promoters I ever worked for. Besides Vern Gagne, he was probably the best. Uh, I know Ron Fuller uh, would go right in there with Stu Hart and, uh, uh, you know, Vern Gagne, but Ron Fuller was more a uh, smaller time promoter. He didn't want to go big. If he wanted to go big, he would He would be a big time promoter today. And, uh, you know, uh, what a nice guy. He's a big guy too. Matter of fact, I always thought I was big. These guys, I have to look up to all of them. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, Steve Tracy, I don't know what he is. He's probably six, eight, six, nine. I asked him what he said, but yeah, no, you're a dog. Yeah, how much you weigh? Oh, a little old 400. <laughs> so speaking <laughs> and uh ron fuller's always been six nine six ten mm-hmm. and, uh, he was a tough uh tough character man uh pensacola florida southeastern wrestling to knoxville tennessee and memphis nashville all the way down through there you know and uh he got a brother robert fuller brother tough character you know and uh you know well, they're just a bunch of tough guys in that, but these guys were uh, some of the better guys I'd worked for, you know. I mean, in small territories, but you enjoyed your work, and uh, basically what they told you, they did. Uh, no big, huge promises or anything, but what they told you, they did. So, did you ever get a chance to work with uh, Stan Hansen? Oh, yeah. I not say Stan. Did I work with him? I think Stan, uh, the closest I come working him, we was in a battle royal together, I believe. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, we was talking about it and all that, but we just never, never come the time we got together, you know. I mean, Bruiser Bodie was one I worked with a lot. And uh, what a guy, man. What a guy he was. Uh, uh, one of the nicest, toughest wrestlers there ever was, uh, was Bruiser Bodie. And, uh, you know, it's a shame what happened to him. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of tough wrestlers out there, but the tough wrestlers, uh, most of them are gone. You know, the old timers are leaving, and uh, the caliber wrestlers they got today, they got some look like they might be tough. I don't know if they're tough at all, other than the ring with the new ones. But uh, like I said, I don't fear no man. <laughs> exactly. Um, have you ever thought about getting back into training uh, a new crop of wrestlers? Well, I thought about it, uh, and I still may do it. Uh, my wife told me I've got enough to do. <laughs> she said, uh, you, know, I, you know, I don't have a honeydew uh, list no more. Uh-huh. I have a honeydew book with chapters. Yes. And a second book with so, even more chapters. You understand that, right? Yeah, chapters. Yep. I got enough to do if I don't if I don't do nothing just go to that book it'll last me the next 10 years of things that she wants me to do hey that's good at least you have a great wife <laughs> hey hey you got a good wife right I there I gotta put that at the bottom of the list because <laughs> I got too many things above it, you know. <laughs> exactly but any, any uh, emergency comes up like uh, something has to be done I do it you know but uh I enjoy I enjoy taking care of uh, you know seventy acres and uh, awesome you know, the animals just, just enjoy it. Just I, nice about it, you know. 
Oh, I definitely have to come uh, check out your place sometimes and check out all of that. They call it the compound. They call it the compound, huh? Yeah, they call it the compound now because I got so many buildings here. <laughs> People come down on the on the lower forty down there and they camp out down there sometimes. And I said, "Come on, something." But you know, I don't really care. I mean, they don't bother me. Yeah. I just tell them to be careful because I shoot a lot of guns out here. That way. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're gonna move in. <laughs> but most of them are pretty good people they're just coming through and want to stop off for a day or rest overnight or something or that's good how much is it it don't cost you a thing just uh, right on in here and enjoy yourself exactly just don't bother my dogs or my animals or anything and don't come up to my house very protective and a lot of electric fences and a lot of traps and uh oh. <laughs> uh, you know, but you gotta, you know, you gotta love people that just find their best to make it on the road. They say, oh, go down there, go down there, you stay out, you know, as long as you want, as long as there ain't over a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, I don't want them there six months, but you know, I don't have to tell you that. I help anybody I can. Well, that's good. So, where can anybody... I'm too nice of a guy, I think, you know? Hey, I'm having fun talking to you. You seem like a nice guy to me. Oh, I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice guy. And, you know, I'm going to have my book in Schaumburg. I'm going to be there. And this is going to be probably the last time you ever get to get my book and get an autograph and get a picture with me. Uh I'm going to take some time off. And I don't know when I'm coming back because I'm going to be working on that second book and I don't know how long that's going to take me. But uh, this is one of the last ones here at Schaumburg. So I get out, get out there and uh, you know, I'm looking forward to a lot of fans up there in Chicago when I used to wrestle up there. Uh, a lot of the motorcycle guys up there, they, uh, you know, I don't know since people until I get there. But... <laughs> Hey, like I said, but they're not nice people. Hey, good people up there. And, it, uh, you know, uh, as you guys leave your guns at home, okay? <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. Um, anyway, uh, Ryan, it's been great talking to you. And uh, anytime you want to chat, give me a call. All right, I'll definitely put your um, number into my uh, phone. I'll put it into my personal cell number. And like shoot you up sometime, and I'm also go ahead. Sorry. Oh yes. Um, also, everybody follow. Hey, that's right. The internet. Yeah. Um. Um. On the internet. Um. I'll go ahead and send you my personal number, and then sometimes if you want to call and chat up and talk about good things, um. That. Oh, uh, that'd be great. And I'll put your I'll put your number in my phone as well. Got my number there. If you can text me, if you get the uh, okay number up in Hartsfield, and once you send me his number, uh, I'll okay. Uh, that, I had a big hornet land on the okay. So, and anyway, and I'll get back to you and give you Steve Tracy contact stuff and everything. Nice, cool. Uh, and I'm looking forward really to. Like to talk to you. Oh, it'd be great. And I'm also looking forward to seeing you at StarCast this Saturday and uh, getting yes. a cop Yep. And getting a copy of your book. No, let me know who's on there. You come up. Because, you know, people come up. Well, I tried to talk to you. Did you tell me who you were? Oh, what'd you say? 
Yeah. Hey, Dr. D. Oh, I'm going to. We're, I, I'm going to come up to you at, at your table at StarCast, and I'm going to be like, hey, Dr. D, and I'm going to see if you'll remember who I am. But I will call you before I get up there as well because I'm going to be meeting up with John anyway. So. Yeah, he said that. I'm going to be up there Thursday. I'm going there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then I'm heading home on okay. Sunday afternoon. So, yeah. Okay. Is John going up Thursday, you said? No, I think John's going. I think he told me he was going to be up there on Friday. Um, what he said, yeah. Yeah, because uh, he, yeah. he says, like, afterwards he wants to meet up and get a bite to eat. Oh, yeah. John likes to get them bites to eat. I don't know the day, boy. So let me do something. I don't. You ain't pushed no meals. She said, "What are you talking about? <laughs> are we on the air? Are we on the air right now?" Yeah, um, yeah. Let me get off and tell everybody. Uh, everybody, uh, come out to Starcast to see Doctor D. David Schultz. Uh, get his book. Don't call me fake. The real story of Doctor D. David Schultz, and you know, uh, read it for yourself and share it to your friends. And everybody, thank you for listening to Wrestle Podcast. Good afternoon. Mm-hmm.